Welcome to the Sacred Emergence Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Wong, and I'm so thrilled that you're here. This is a place where you'll be guided to living your most aligned life so that your truest, most radiant self can emerge. We'll be jamming on topics ranging from spirituality, entrepreneurship, to wellness and lifestyle design, and everything in between that can support you to grow, evolve, and shine, all the while not taking ourselves too seriously. So if you're ready to step into your leadership, break through limiting beliefs, own all of who you are, and expand in abundance, grab yourself your faith cup of tea, and let's dive in. Hello, hello, beautiful listener. Welcome to today's episode where I speak with returning guest Alyssa Johnson Esquire. Um, Alyssa and I talk a lot about um, racial literacy and Alyssa's work is with lawyers and legal organizations around um, helping lawyers with well-being and emotional intelligence, and her passion is around dismantling white supremacy. And this episode, we dive into that a lot more. And so as you're listening, please take care of yourself. Topics are uh, potentially activating and um, can stir up emotions. So take care of yourself, take deep breaths. This episode is over an hour-ish, so wanted to give you a heads up. And at the same time, I really value Alyssa's work and was excited to have her back. So Without further ado, enjoy and uh, take it easy. Take care. Hello, hello, beautiful, beautiful listeners. Welcome back to our episode of the Sacred Emergence Podcast. I am so, so honored to have a returning guest, which I am just so excited because these conversations are so important. Alyssa Johnson, Esquire, welcome back. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me back. I just adore you and I adore your podcast. And I'm so honored to be back here for a second time. How freaking lucky am I? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I will share a link in the show notes to our first interview, like our first conversation, but we were talking about, um, well, (laughs) anti-racism and like, and doing the work and like you're continuing to to create workshops in your workplace and like I I just love because you're white (laughs) I love that you are you're just calling stuff out and Mm -hmm. like I see you on socials you know I talk to you Mm -hmm. and you're actually gaining momentum like people are Mm -hmm. reaching out to you because they see the importance of your work and I talk about this in my circles how like, cause I'm Asian, right? I'm Chinese. Um, and I feel like, like when I talk about race, it freaking activates people. It's so mm-hmm. uncomfortable, yep. but hearing it from you, it's uncomfortable, but it's more acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, we were also talking about periods, women periods and yeah. <laughs> yeah and like, uh, how that actually is part of the work as well, like knowing our bodies. And then before we hit play, I tell, I mentioned the word patriarchy and you're like, I don't like using the word patriarchy. So we're going to dive all in. <laughs> I mean, yes to all of that. I lo- I'm so passionate about all of these topics, as you know, because you and I are friends and have had multiple conversations on it, including the first podcast that you so kindly invited me on. Uh, so where you, I can kick us off. You can kick us off. What feels good to you? 
Well, I use the word patriarchy and I like to preface it with wounded patriarchy. However, it does. It puts people in boxes and labels and it puts it in the other, right? Mm-hmm. Like we point fingers and we start labeling things. Yeah. But I loved what you said and why you don't use patriarchy. So can you share more? I can. So I'm going to clarify. I don't I don't actually have a problem with the word patriarchy. That's not where um, my issue is. Um, I generally do not talk about patriarchy because patriarchy bashing is the white woman's most favorite way to opt out of or exit a conversation about white supremacy. And I um, have been doing my race literacy work since 2015 and have really come out more and more and, and like building um, a business and uh, because I'm a lawyer working within the legal profession a lot and then also outside of the law. Um, I have had dozens and dozens of um, teachings and conversations with white women and um, especially, you know, especially white women who are sort of interested in racial literacy work or are actually fully invested in it. Um, They tend to be liberal. So um, or progressive, you know, and so the progressive liberal white woman's favorite way to get out of talking about supremacy is patriarchy or toxic patriarchy. And because I am acutely aware of that, I used to do it myself before I um, dived into my race-based trauma, which is what we all actually have. White people have it too, but supremacy suppresses that messaging. Uh, I always would, you know, want to, um, take a conversation to toxic patriarchy and how it was affecting me and, and women, you know, and I, I made massive assumptions as white women do that um, white women and women of color have the same interests and needs. And that's not true at all. Um, so I used to do that behavior rampantly where I would get out, you know, exit out of a racial literacy conversation and, and bring up patriarchy. And because I'm so acutely aware of it now, and because I see it so frequently amongst white women, um, I, I tend to not really talk about patriarchy um, and focus on racial literacy, but there, I will caveat that with um, for, I, I mean, I'm just going to say it because this is the actual truth. Um, white women who aren't doing racial literacy work and you, uh, and we, I should say, we, I don't want to say you, I want to include myself and um, we bash the patriarchy there's a few pieces to this. The first is that, uh, well, we live in a toxic patriarchy, but we live in a toxic white patriarchy. Men of color do not have the same um, rights and privileges as white men, even under a patriarchal system. And so we live in a toxic white patriarchy. And what white women do is we uphold it. And the way that we do that is um, whenever, if if we're not doing racial literacy work, which many white women are not, uh, if a person of color says something to us that triggers our race-based trauma, which takes almost nothing to get that trauma triggered. Um, What we will do as white women is we will run to white men to be supported. I'm not racist. How could they say this? That, you know, the black woman was mean to me. We do all these things. And so, and then we ask white men to support us and nurture us and hold us, which in effect is lifting up toxic white patriarchy. So we are feeding right into um, a system that many of us claim to dislike and want to dismantle. Mm. (laughs) I just shared so much, but I'm very passionate about it. And I've done a ton of research and inner work around this. So I feel, you know, I feel well-versed in it, at least, you know, as far as I can be eight, seven, eight years into a racial literacy journey. Mm, That is so good. Um, God, I had a question come through as you were talking and it had to do with uh, the word patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> that was my question. Um, Let us call us. Let's ask Rick, Rick James. Can he help us with and we, we laugh because well, you feel free. I don't, I don't, you know, feel free to share that if you want, Michelle. Oh my right? god, before we hit play, what's the name of that song? Get um Freaky. Super Freak. Oh, super freak. We like dance to it because yeah. we're super freaks. That's super right. Freaks. Like it was perfect. Oh best. <laughs> um Okay, so, oh, this is what I wanted to say. I mean, I, I think you and I are talking about this um, before, not like this is just like a, you and I are having a casual conversation about this yeah. around like, um, if we dismantle, let's just say the patriarchy, yeah, yeah. and you're asking me such a beautiful question and, and I loved your answer. It was around like, around the matriarchy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. can you share your perspective around that? Cause so your question was if we, let's just say we, we, we healed the toxic patriarchy, right? What happens with the woman? Yeah, yeah. Right. So my question, cause I spend time in introspection around this, um, is if, if it is possible, I don't think it is, but if it's possible to dismantle toxic and remember, I'm going to always say white patriarchy, because again, race, the skin color is tied to everything in our country. It's there. You can't, there's really, it's very hard to separate it out. Even in, um, even when looking at it from a patriarchal or matriarchal perspective. Um, so toxic white patriarchy, um, if we are somehow able to dismantle that without doing race literacy work, and I will talk more about what that is because that may be a new term for some of your listeners. I'll do that in a moment. Uh, if we can actually do that without doing the race piece, my question for you was, what do you think would happen? Like, what do we, what did you think society would turn into? Do you remember your answer? And if you do, do you want to share it? I don't remember my answer because I was having trouble understanding your question. Yeah, because it's a very, it's a very, you know, abstract question. Yeah. So basically how I understood it just now, like, is, okay, if we, I mean, this is the part that I find challenging because we're also impacted by the patriarch, white patriarch, right? Mm -hmm. So how I saw it was if the men were healed and I don't mean to associate men with patriarchy, like that's like, you know, but it's like, but if we're not doing the work, like if we're not talking about race, if we're not doing racism work, and then the patriarchy was healed, uh, well, I don't even know. I don't even think that's really possible. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, I know your answer, and I agree with your answer. I don't remember what I said. Do you remember what I said? Um, you said it so beautifully, and I'm going. You know, I'm I'm paraphrasing, so I'm going to botch it. Um, the effect that the the masculine would that wounding would be healed and it was like and, and, it, was, and it was you 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 were so beautiful and like you weren't I think you weren't really sure what would happen then or I just but I, I could be remembering that piece wrong but I remember you said it so eloquently about the wounding being healed and the men having done the inner work to really dismantle toxic white patriarchy and I was so struck by that. I thought it was just so loving and kind and amazing and not something I had considered. And so I appreciate you and thank you for illuminating and enlightening me about the potentiality of that. Yeah, I, I, there is something 
there's something there that I feel like is my next level of work around, you know, holding space for men to heal their trauma in a way, because that's mm-hmm. something that's not really talked about. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's to- that's toxic masculinity, which I don't really love that word or, you know, term, mm-hmm. but I love what you said for your answer to your question um there's so many layers here it's all so intertwined (laughs) right yeah did you want me to share my answer I would love for you to share answer yeah so I I think of course this is just conjecture who knows uh if if we are able to dismantle toxic white patriarchy without addressing supremacy and supremacy um white supremacy uh, I'm going to, I want to share that in a bit. I'm not going to go down actually. I'm not going to go down right now, but I'm going to, there's a piece that's super important here that I need, I need white women to hear. Um, uh, but if that happens, what I think our, our country turns into is a toxic white matriarchy because we, as white women have not done our inner work around our internalized racism. Therefore we are not bringing women of color along with us right? We're, we're, we're exerting and asserting, which we have done for since enslavement, 400, 600 really years, if you look at um, colonization as well. Um, we have asserted our needs over and at the expense of women of color. And I think that that's exactly what would happen here is we would then just push a white woman's agenda. So we've made it a toxic white matriarchy. And because we haven't address the internalized racism that we all carry, um, what we would end up doing is um, white men, I think would be second. Right now under supremacy, white women are second. I actually think mm. we have we actually have much more power than men of color um, because supremacy is a worse problem in our country than patriarchy. And um, so I think it would just be go, it would just go from white men being at the top of the food chain and white women second to white women being at the top of the food chain and white men being second. And I don't actually think there would any be really be any um, advancements or e- any efforts towards um, equity or equality for people of color. Mm. That's what I think what it, it would turn into. So I say all of that because to me, we have to do the racial literacy work. If we really, we being white women, really want to dismantle toxic white patriarchy, we got to do the inner work so that we truly stand with people of color. Okay. And as you were, you know, sharing, you you kind of put some thumbtacks in yeah, some I did put some technology. Yeah. yeah. Let's go and uh, define it. So uh, race literacy, and then there was, was the other one? Mm-hmm. The other one was um, the the benefits, yeah, the benefits afforded um, uh, afforded us, meaning white people, uh, white women under supremacy, are far greater than what we lose under patriarchy. Yeah. Um, so the racial literacy. So um, you you can generally use racial literacy and anti racism interchangeably, um, but I find that racial literacy lands a little bit. It lands better for me, and it lands better for the audience I tend to work with. And I say that because when you say anti-racism, the, the term anti, of course, is pushing against. Well, certainly as a, as a formerly practicing attorney and working within the legal profession, for many lawyers, a big part of their job is pushing against something. And we know that that's very, very exhausting and it burns us out. So racial literacy, which is a term I learned from Milagros Phillips, who is um, a phenomenal racial literacy teacher and author, 
uh, is the idea that I'm educating myself. I'm, I'm expanding my awareness and knowledge because as a white person, the reality is we have all gotten the white supremacist playbook and script. We all have it. <laughs> like even if we weren't handed something most likely, um, but we all, we've all gotten the same teachings. We all have the same sort of similar messaging. We don't know what racially literate messaging is until we start doing the work. The only messaging we have is supremacist messaging, not our fault but it is our responsibility to educate ourselves and start to learn and immerse ourselves in what racial literate messaging is. So with that, to me, it's just, it's, um, it gives my, gives me more grace, more empathy, more compassion, um, especially towards myself and other white people, because when we do our racial literacy journey, it's really a journey of healing race-based trauma. And um, depending upon where one is in the journey, if a white person is in the very beginning stages of it, um, there's going to be extensive anger, guilt, shame, uh, defensiveness, crying, lashing out. I mean, these are, it's just, it's, it's trauma. And so the more grace that we can afford or give ourselves and just being gentle with ourselves and letting our internal world unravel because we're, we're having to heal lies that we've been taught. We have to heal um, lies we've told ourselves. We have to heal the ways we have deeply hurt people of color. And we have every single white person has done it multiple times. Um, so there's a lot of work there that has to be done. Um, so to me that, that I just think racial literacy tends to land better because mm. of the energy behind it. But you can use both terms, generally speaking, interchangeably. Mm. And then I'm sorry, I will let you speak. I'm a lawyer, as you know, and my God, I mean, we don't, we don't stay quiet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I actually really love that race literacy because then it makes it like, well, yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't have a sting just because it's, it's true. Like anti, because the word anti has you know, you can use it in front of so many and it becomes politicized in a way. Like the mm -hmm. word, and I'm anti this and anti that and the yeah. word anything, right? So it kind of, it's almost like, oh, it's, it can create a knee-jerk reaction. So I love saying race literacy. Mm -hmm. um, and I like that, you know, it's more approachable because that's, I think that's, it makes it more accessible, which I think is needed. Yeah. Um, so I like that. Um, and then um part two <laughs> white supremacy yeah which I think is like we talked about it in our first uh conversation together that I'll share in the show notes but and, you know when when the whole black lives matter you know in 2020 when like it, it was all bubbling up to surface like mm -hmm. even for me like hearing the word white supremacy I felt I was like oh because I've always associated that with like the KKK sure Mm -hmm. right but yeah. it's like then you read deeper about it um and it's like oh like I understand if you're looking at like just not associating anything word-wise just looking at okay having like um like more power if you're white you have more power mm -hmm. I think that's basically what it is but yeah um if you can share your thoughts and define it how you were refer referencing it well, I, oh, uh, white supremacy is the ideology or really the um, 
practical piece in our country. It's certainly not just intellectual. It's not an intellectual experience. This is the reality that um, my white skin gives me privileges that I, I'm not even aware of because it's just like my everyday experience. So let me give you an example. Um, I can walk into a store. I mean, you know, for the most part, I'm not going to be followed. No one's going to look anything at, you know, like think twice about me. I'm just like, you know, I look like a Karen, right? Like, you know, <laughs> like, right. Like this, like, I mean, I'm an affluent white woman and, um, and, you know, so like, I just like, no one even bats an eyebrow or, you know, raises an eyebrow, um, bats an eye. So, um, People of color, you know, certainly probably not everyone, but generally speaking, that's not the true for people of color. Um, you know, walking into store and being followed, assuming that, um, you know, a person of color is there for malintent to, you know, to steal or cause harm in some way. I will, this was something I learned years ago. I think I was actually in law school and I, you know, this was um, like the summer after my first year of law school. So this was the summer of 2002. Um, and I was doing, um, an internship with, with like a clinical law program. And I got to, and I, I went to Maryland, university of Maryland for law school. And the law school is located in Baltimore where most of Maryland's grad programs are. And, um, I was really fortunate to be able to attend at the time, um, a meeting with mayor Martin O'Malley, who was the mayor at the time. And like, his chiefs of staff, like this super high level Baltimore city meeting I got to go to because of the clinic that I was interning in. It was really cool. And, um, I remember I, I, he was like the city solicitor, which is like a city's attorney, main attorney. He, um, he, I think he had a BMW and he was driving and he was pulled over and, and true story in the front seat of his car, he had, um, a Maryland law book. It's called uniform commercial code, but like, it's just, it's a legal book. He actually had this book in the front seat of his car, got pulled over. Of course, he's a black man. He's driving a BMW, which undoubtedly he worked his butt off for, um, to like raise, you know, to the rise to that level of, you know, success in one's legal career is, you know, he put in the work, um, and got, you know, had to get out of the car was like, you know, just, just horrifying. And, um, and he was like, I'm an attorney that, you know, of course the police were grilling him. How did you get this car? Assuming he'd stolen it or, you know, probably bought it with, you know, legal means. And he's like, I'm an attorney. Like I'm the, the city solicitor. Like I'm the main attorney for the city. There's a law book in the front passenger seat of my car. And they wouldn't believe him. And so is that going to happen to a white person? Not in a bajillion gazillion years, unless the police have probable cause, you know, they see, you know, a gun in the car. And I mean, and then of course it's tech. I mean, I live in Texas, so that might not do anything, but like, you know, they see, you know, like an ounce of Coke or something like, you know, it's, there's going to be something that has to happen. They aren't just going to do that, but that is, I have learned it. And, uh, you know, it, that is, that is absolutely par for course for people of color. So mm -hmm. It's these things that we just, in a, in a white centric world, which is what we live in, we aren't even like this stuff isn't even in our awareness because we don't experience it. And so that is where this, the, you know, the privilege comes in. And it's also, I think even someone, um, a, a black male friend of mine said this, and it was just so poignant how he said it is to him, like he fully understood privilege 
in the way that we as white people have a choice whether or not to do racial literacy work. Mm. We can opt into racial literacy work and start to um, unpack the society of lies that we live in. If you're if you're not doing racial literacy work, you're just living in lies is the reality. Once you start doing it, you're gonna start to see our entire culture is a lie. Um, but we have a choice and white people can stay asleep meaning not do racial literacy work, or they can choose to start doing it. They can dip, we can dip our toes in. We can do it for a little bit, step out of it, never do it again, right? Like we have choice. People of color don't have choice. There is no choice. It is an everyday experience trying to survive, let alone thrive in whiteness. And mm-hmm. so it just was so poignant the way you said it. So that's that's a very long explanation and definition. But I think, especially for white people, we need to like, so much of, um, uh, race literature or anti-racism or racism work uh, supremacy purposefully keeps abstract in an intellectual exercise and it's not abstract it's not an intellectual ex- exercise it is a lived body experience body and psyche experience for pe- people of color so I try to make it very concrete do you offer uh, race literacy work for the general people not lawyers lawyers. Yeah. So I have a, a race literacy book club and it is for white women and white trans women and it's for everyone. And, um, you can just find it on my website and sign up. It's free. And then, uh, I have joined a company called the opt-in and this is the, um, country's only, uh, racial literacy and cultural competency firm that works with white senior leaders in visionary companies who want to use race literacy and cultural competency to stay relevant in the marketplace. Because if you look at the demographics, um, within like 20 years, uh, white people will be the minority, which is actually driving a lot of supremacist activity right now because white people are terrified of being the minority because our greatest fear, our greatest fear as white people is that the tables are going to turn and we are going to become enslaved. That's, that's actually what it is. That is truly our deepest fear. Most white people will probably not go there, will not go that deep with it and start to work with that fear, but that's what it is. Um, and so that's driving this fear of white people being the minority and people of color um, being the majority is what's driving a lot of behavior right now, supremacist behavior um, or you know activities. So I say all that, the opt-in, yes. And thank you. I apologize. I, you know, just. I love it. I'm going to share, I'll share all of that. Um, in the show notes. I don't know if people go to the show notes and, but like I put stuff in the show. Notes. I love it. <laughs> I think the they do. Notes. I do. When I look at read, look at, let's look, look at, listen to podcasts. I'll look at show notes. Okay, good. Um, I had like two, a few thoughts come in. One is just, yes. it's just funny. Like, <laughs> so when you were saying like, you know, white people just can like, they just get away with stuff basically yeah. like, you know what yeah. I mean? So there's this really funny, I was watching this, um, was it on Netflix? It's, uh, this, He's an Asian comedian. Uh, I think Ali Wong kind of uh, whatever was helped produce his, I forget his name, um, but he had this really funny joke. He's like, oh yeah, I work with this team of people. You know, this guy, he's, you know, he's talking about he's like black and this is his skill set that he brings to the team. There's this other guy and he's, you know, Mexican and this is what he brings to the team. So he's like raving about all these other people. And, then, and there's this guy named, I don't know, Joe. And he's white and we don't know what skills he has. He just has these magical powers. <laughs> I think so hard. He's like, he's oh just my God. magical powers that we're all in awe of. <laughs> right. He just like, oh 
he just is white and he's a white man and like that just <laughs> gains us access <laughs> oh it was really funny um and he just kind of just the way he landed that it was funny um okay there's something else yeah that, well this this kind of is kind of tangent and off tangent a little bit but when you were saying like the greatest fear is like white people becoming the minority i mean i feel like not, that not becoming the minority becoming enslaved Oh, enslaved. Oh. Yes, our great, our deepest fear, which a lot of white people won't go deep enough to hit this, um, but the reality is our deepest fear is that the tables will turn and we will become enslaved. Oh, like how, like enslaved, like be slaves, like how black people mm-hmm. were? Yes, that, that's, what, wow. that's what we're really deeply afraid of. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, like when you, when you said that, like the thought that I had was kind of the conversation we had earlier around, like if we heal the patriarchy, mm-hmm. right. Cause I feel like the patriarch is upheld because there's fear. Well, we don't want to, like men don't want to lose power. Cause then mm-hmm. if women take over, which in households, I, I really feel that women kind of are the head of the household in a way, <laughs> but it's like, maybe men fear like losing that power, the upper hand, and then suddenly becoming second class, right? What you were saying about the matriarch taking over if the patriarchy was healed, you know, the toxic patriarch. I don't know. I think there's a lot of reasons why power is upheld because people don't want the the fear of whatever if they yeah. lose that power. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, and I really appreciate your work. Like there are like, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of white people, you know, yeah. in the US. Yeah. and there are times when like, I will kind of dodge the topic around racism. Cause I'm like, I don't know how they feel. Like, I don't know. Like some of my white friends, like you, like, it's very easy to talk about. Cause you're like, you know, I feel safe around you talking about it. Other people are like, oh, I don't really want to go there. Like, I don't know if you like, I don't know. Like, so I just dodge it because I don't mm-hmm. know um their level of I don't know the the work that they've done their own exposure um Mm -hmm. and it's it can be really triggering yeah you know so I'm I'm glad that you're doing this work and you're like you're specifically holding space for white people um because I would imagine it's safe it feels safe to learn from a white person that's exactly it Uh, I am a huge, huge, huge proponent of affinity groups. And if that is a newer term for any of your listeners, uh, it's really where you are in a group of people who are similar to you. So you can, you know, like um, a woman's affinity group, uh, you know, men's, and then there's also, of course, for uh, skin color. So I, I, what you said is exactly right because I am white and I have, I mean, I've just healed so much of my race-based trauma. Um, and I've just gone through, you know, I mean, it's just a trauma healing. Um, I, white people feel safer asking me questions than they do a person of color because we don't want to cause more harm. We don't want to look ignorant. We don't want to be, you know, we don't want to be, um, thought of as stupid. We don't want to be called racist, all of these different things. And so you just said it exactly right. You, I mean, I, I just, it's actually incredible to me. And I, um, that there's absolutely nothing I say that's even remotely new. I mean, this has been said (laughs) by people of color for 600 years. And, um, I, and, um, of course, because I'm a woman and I tend to work a lot with white women, um, 
women of color say exactly what I say, have said it much longer than I have, say it a bajillion and a half times more eloquent than I will ever say it. And yet white women will hear me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I can, I, I totally respect and understand that. Right. And that's why I appreciate you doing the work. And also I hear like a lot of black women saying and black, not just women, but not just black women, but like saying like, they're just tired of always having to yes. do the work and do the mm-hmm. teaching. Everybody looks to black people to create the programs and let yeah. us know what, how we could be better. And it's like, yeah. dang it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That is, um, there's, there's a, that's tied, that's tied to white helplessness. So, um, supremacy teaches us, uh, that, um, we don't need to do anything on our own and that we always need people of color to tell us what to do, what to read, what to say, what, how to behave, you know, I mean, it's just tied right back into enslavement. And, um, and so that's what that issue is. And and if you think about it, like, if you don't, if you think about it very superficially, there's an aspect of that that makes sense to me, right? Like, oh, well, I want to do my race literacy work. Let me ask a person of color, what book should I read? Or what what should I do? Right? Like that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But when you start to unpack it a little bit, you're, you're, it's, it's assuming that all people of color know every single resource out there, right? That's ludicrous. I assure you, if a white man was like, what, what, you know, feminist book should I read? I'd be like, I don't know what the fuck you should read. Like Google it. (laughs) No, I don't read it. I'm a woman. Like I experienced sexism, (laughs) right? I don't need to read about it. And, um, and so we assume that all people of color are just this, like, you know, you all know every, you know, like, you know, everything that's out there. And like, all you want to do is just help white people and like, tell us what to do. Um, and so it's, it, so it's really, it's just a huge piece around white helplessness and that supremacy pushes. And if you look at it very superficially, like I said, I think that it makes sense, like from a very superficial perspective, but when you pull it, pull it you know, pull, you know, push against it a little bit, it's like, oh, that's actually what that behavior is. And oh no, oh no, we, we can get on Amazon and Google, you know, race book <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> not beyond our development as white people. You're not going to get yeah. it wrong. Right. Just start whatever, wherever you're there, you know, wherever you're interested in terms of race literacy journey, whether education, trauma, you know, uh, healthcare. I mean, there's not a single aspect of our country's creation and development that has not been poisoned by white supremacy. Yeah. Um, I love that. There's like, also, I feel like it's, I feel like it's, Oh, it's all, it's like, it's okay to fuck up as we're learning. Right. Like even for like, for me, like, um, I was learning more about like inclusivity around like transgender and pronouns. And I like, I, this is very new, not it's now it's less new, but I'm still like, if I'm like, okay, this person's pronouns doesn't necessarily match what they might look like externally. I'm like, okay, I hope it don't fuck up. Like, okay, they, right. they go by these pronouns. And I'm like, like, okay, you know, and a part of me is like, oh shit, like, I, was, like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And yeah. like, so I, I understand. And also like, I have to remember, oh, I'm still learning. And I think it's okay if I, I just like, oh, I'm so like, you know, like just be human about it and just, I don't know like I think it's I think it's okay to fuck up and also be like okay I, I'm gonna be better and I'm sorry you know and I feel like no one's has this expectation that we're gonna be perfect at it because we're all figuring things out you know and like I'm racist not because I'm brought up in a culture that is yep. racist you know yep. 
Yep. Um, I'm also sexist. Like I've done the unconscious bias test uh, mm -hmm. around men and women, and I was so annoyed. I'm like, oh my god, I'm like racist. I'm like sexist against my own sex. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's humbling, isn't it? Just yeah. The, and I'm just like the oh, messaging that's just so permeated in our consciousnesses. Yeah, you're the 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 grace that you just talked about, you know, and, and we are going to fuck up. It is absolutely inevitable in a race literacy journey. You're, we're going to fuck up. I have multiple times. I will say I have been afforded more grace by people of color than I'm even in the universe of deserving. And um, I, I think, I don't really know why, but I think it's because when, and I, you know, when I, say something and my thinking is warped by supremacy and no worry. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, my consciousness is just soaked in whiteness. Um, when I, when I say or write something and a person of color, people of color will comment on that. Um, it's said with such kindness and, and with education, like there's the, the answer, the, you know, the, what they are sharing, there's always, there's just chock full of information for me to go and look at and be like, okay, where, where did I fuck up? You know, what, where did my supremacy just take over? And like, you know, and, um, and I think I'm been afforded extensive amounts of grace because I go back, I research, I do the inner work around what, where did I fuck up? How do I feel about that? You know, how did my supremacy get in the way? How did my racism get in the way? Um, and then I get back out there and I keep going mm. and I keep speaking up. And now I'm, you know, now I'm at the point where I write regularly on it. I'm, you know, I, I get interviewed a lot about this and, and whatnot, just because um, the reality is there just aren't enough white women doing this work. Yeah. And so um, I do have a lot of doors that are open, that open to me. Uh, and that I, but I think that that is, that's why. Because it's like, you know, I go and lick my wounds. I don't, you know, it doesn't feel good to like, be like ah, just totally acting in a racist way yeah. um, and apologize, learn, do better, keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like that takes so much courage of like, I'm going to go and lick my wounds and like be better. And it's, it's humbling. Um, I remember like I, I was this woman on social media. She's, um, well-respected. She's white. Um, I follow her, we're connected. And I, I think she shared something and she, in the comments, it was like a lot of people were saying, Hey, like calling what she wrote, like she, she was called out mm -hmm. and I loved her responses. Cause she literally with every call out, she was like, I'm sorry, I will do better. I'm going to research this. And it was just so humbling for me to read. And I had more respect for her. It was yes. nothing about being defensive and like, but da, 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 da. like she was just taking it. And that takes a lot of courage and like I can imagine how that would feel to the ego um yeah. and still show up and be like okay I'm gonna do better like that takes that I just have so much respect for that because I would feel like the initial response is to defend oneself right mm -hmm. that's like such an instinctual human thing to do yeah. so I have like so much respect and just um yeah it just if anything it makes me want to engage even more with them and support them even more. Yeah. Yes. That's what it does. And so, um, I really hope that, you know, white women who are listening to this, if, if they, you know, if you all are feeling any fear or trepidation or, or, uh, unfortunately our, our 
perfectionism and our need to be the perfect white woman really gets activated in this space, even though we get, it's, it's also, it's an aspect of our, um, unfortunately it's our hypocrisy actually. Um, this idea that we don't want to have to be perfect and have it all together. We, we, white women tend to get really pissed at that. And yet we think we have to be perfect and have it all together in, in <laughs> exactly right in, in race literacy work. So it's, it's hypocritical behavior. Um, but all that aside, you know, white women, can you hear this? Like, and, and, you know, like you're going to fuck up, it's going to happen. And how can you do better? How can you avoid lashing out, becoming defensive, sit with whatever's being said, you know, take some space, time and space. That's fine. And then come back when you're less triggered and um, yeah. And then keep at it. And it's just, um, and it gets easier. It really does. Like, it's just the more you do it, you know, it's anything, it's anything. The more we do it, the easier it is. You know, I don't, it's just, it just gets easier. But you got, we got to start somewhere. Like there's two things. One is, uh, well, I wanted to touch upon trauma. And the second one is I did want to ask about periods and the menstrual. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> menstrual cycle. I want to, I want to talk about that. I think that's what yeah. was, that's what inspired our, like, let's have you back on. I wanted to hear more about that and like racism work. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm like, let's talk about race literacy. Oh, you know, all day. I'm like, seriously. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, I, well, I wanted to, I did want to touch upon trauma because trauma, mm -hmm. there's so like we as people, not even, not even looking at color, we have so much trauma that is ancestral, mm -hmm. can be racial stuff from ancestors, right? That's passed down. I think there's evidence of that, right? Of, yeah. um, and then, so there's already personal trauma not related to race. And mm -hmm. then there, and then there's like healing racial trauma. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of work. And I feel like, in a way, I, I so appreciate what your like your work, and I also do want to call out that it's it's a lifelong journey. Yeah. Like it really is, and uh, like you can heal. Like I don't know. I just feel like like I'm real. Like I'm feeling overwhelmed <laughs> just hearing like oh, actually, like because people don't just have the racial trauma. There could be sexual trauma. There could be trauma from abandonment. Yeah. And then on top of it, racial trauma, that there's a lot. Um, yeah. So I did want to call that out because it's not overnight. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, you're exactly right. Uh, I would imagine mo many, maybe most of us, uh, us being humans, uh, have multiple um, points of trauma. So we all have race-based trauma. Every single white person has it. Um, and people of color too, but I'm saying white specifically because supremacy um, suppresses messaging that white people are harmed by treating people atrociously. Um, and, um, and then we also, many of us have some other aspect of trauma. So I started my race literacy journey in 2015. And it wasn't until 2020, so five years later, that I actually learned that I was healing race-based trauma. I'd never come across it before until Milagros Phillips, who I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, who is just absolutely extraordinary, extraordinary teacher, um, talked about it. And as I learned from her, the, the way we hold trauma, race-based trauma in the body depends on skin color. 
because our relationship to supremacy is different based on skin color. As white people, we hold it as supremacy because we have been taught that we are superior simply because our skin is white or some you know variant of white that allows us access to the privileges of being white. And with that, um, there comes, and I talked about this earlier, but I didn't, I don't, I don't know how I phrased it. Anyway, with that comes when we start doing the healing work, um, the anger, anger at people of color, we blame, you know, white people blaming people of color that we have to do this work when it's your problem, which by the way is a lie. It's not people, I mean, it is a problem um, for people of color, but racism is actually a white person problem that we've thrust onto the bodies and psyches of people of color. It's our issue to clean up. Um, but we have anger, um, guilt and shame and a lot of tears, white women, tears is a whole thing. Um, defensiveness, you know, there's a ton of other things that we, we will get into, you know, you get into as you go further into the race literacy journey, but so, so there's all that that's there. Now, in my case, I grew up in an unloving home. And, um, in 2012, I started exhibiting signs. I was living in Washington DC at the time. And, um, I started exhibiting signs of an emotional collapse, but I didn't know what was going on. I didn't have any context for it. And then in 2013, I had a massive emotional collapse and I had to leave DC and like quit my job and and do what and whatnot. And I focused the next few years intensely on healing childhood trauma. And what I have found, um, I've, I'm still doing the childhood trauma work. I mean, it's just, it's a very different, uh, it's just very different for me now because it's been so long and I've healed so much of it, um, but I still do it. And I'm still doing the race, you know, race-based trauma, but again, it's very different because I've healed so much of that. Um, what I have found as a white person is that it is extraordinarily beautiful to get to heal both types of trauma because as a white person, for trauma that happened to us, whether abuse, you know, seeing something horrifying, like a car accident, whatever it is, um, at least with my childhood trauma, I can hold myself out as the victim or the survivor, depending upon where I was in my healing journey. Now I see myself as a survivor. Um, and all of that, that comes with that being on the receiving end of the trauma under supremacy, I'm the abuser and I'm the oppressor. And I am the one who is doing the harm. And so healing everything that goes with that. So I have been so blessed as a human being to heal this entire spectrum of human behavior or to look at this entire spectrum of human behavior that we all possess (laughs) that, you know, but like in terms of supremacy, white people, we are the oppressors. We are the abusers, whether we want to be or not, that's the reality. And so to me, it's just been such a beautiful gift to get to work in this sort of full spectrum of human emotions and human behaviors and integrate them much more solidly into my psyche and do my work from this much more integrated place. Mm, That's really powerful. Like just being able to like, kind of, kind of step away just from focus on you, 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 and just take a like, okay, a bird's eye view of you <laughs> yeah, and being like, okay, this is where I, you know, saw myself a victim now survivor. I've overcome things that was done to me. And mm-hmm. then looking at myself as also things that I've done to others Yeah, that I can, I love that you said it's like almost this full spectrum that it just yeah. like, you just become so powerful. You, yes. It, that's it. And I, 
one of the things that is happening in white consciousness is that most white people aren't integrated. Mm. We're, we're, we're operating from a disintegrated place because we're not healing the race-based trauma. Mm. And so we're not looking at the entirety of who we are. And a lot of white people, you know, I mean, you know, the consciousness is at a place, I think, where it's more acceptable to heal trauma healing now and, you know, and things that happen to us. And, um, you know, if you think of women, it's certainly sexual trauma. Um, and so those parts of the, the white psyche are being looked at and integrated, you know, in a much more holistic way, but we're leaving a huge part of who we are behind or not looking at it. And so it's just... It's, I look at, I kind of feel it like right arm's not talking to the left and we're trying to operate as if we're this integrated full whole being and actually a huge part of our consciousness is very wounded. Mm. Oh, <laughs> I love these conversations because it, it just, I know it's just good. <laughs> it's just good. Like it's deep and it's hard and it's like, we need these hard conversations. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, let's talk about it's on the same, yeah. the same subject. Yes. Periods. Periods, <laughs> menstrual cycle. <laughs> what in the world? Tell me more of how it's connected. <laughs> yeah. So, um, there actually is a connection between racial literacy and menstrual cycle and um, a menstrual cycle awareness, being aware of our cycle and the tra tracking it and, and our moods and, and whatnot. Um, and the connection that I have come up with, and there may probably, there probably are more, um, but what I have seen is really through this lens of well-being, wellness, self-awareness. Um, and we can use this to our advantage in our racial literacy journey. Um, and so what do I mean by that? With our menstrual cycle, uh, there are four phases to the menstrual cycle, um, menstruation, follicular, luteal, um, I just totally, uh, sorry, menstruation, Ob follicular, yes, ovulation and luteal. Thank you. I was like, wait a minute, I totally forgot one. Um, and um, each phase has uh, corresponding superpowers or strengths that we are all possessed with, uh, all of us being those who menstruate. And, um, and then there are places that um, are not as optimal for us to do. Like, for example, when we are menstruating, we, our body is designed, it's actually designed to sleep, to rest during menstruation. So there is a reason why we are exhausted. The body is doing so much work, shedding the uterine lining, um, and all of the emotion, emotionality pieces that are happening, all these different things. Um, and the, our hormone levels, especially when we start our bleed, bleed our rock bottom. And so we are meant to sleep and rest and let the body work her magic and, um, or work its magic. And, um, and so, but we've, we may have gotten, you know, messaging, we may feel guilty. We may try to push through do all these things. But for example, when we are menstruating, um, actually when, you know, towards the end of the luteal phase, which is the phase that occurs right before we menstruate. And when we're menstruating, we tend to have higher emotional sensitivity. It's just the nature of the way, the way our hormones are operating. There's nothing wrong with us. It's biological. And, um, because of that, we can use that when we do our racial literacy work. 
So if there are time, there are also times in the month when we, when our emotions are um, not running as high, when we're less sensitive and we feel more courageous and we can, so I look at it like if I can start to track my cycle and see when do I feel really powerful and out in the world and not really giving a shit as much about what other people think versus those times of the month when I'm like, I mean, you know, a stranger looking at me with a, you know, like an evil eye, you know, I want to cry and like all the things. Um, I'm going to be really strategic about my race literacy work. Mm. Right? I'm going to, I'm going to post on around the times that I feel really good and really want to push the envelope and really piss white people off. Um, and, um, and then I'm not going to post during the times when I'm more sensitive. Right. And so I look at like, and, and, and anyone, any person who menstruates can do this for women of color, Right. You're going to have some just, you know, work conversation that's, you know, you're, you know, often people of color are automatically recruited by white people to head up, you know, spearhead people of color initiatives and whatnot. Um, and it's like, that shit is exhausting from what I understand, you know, what I've read and heard from people of color. And they're often not, you're often not paid more. And it's just like this whole fucking thing. Um, and, you know, so if women of color are like, okay, I got to go do this thing that I don't want to do, right. That my company is making me do. And, um, can I plan to do it on a time when I actually feel better in the world rather than exhausted and more, you know, like when I'm menstruating or, oh God, we're going to have, you know, a race literacy conversation at the office and no, you know, the white people aren't doing race literacy work, which inevitably means that people of color are going to probably honestly be great, you know, harmed and no forward progress is going to be made. Can, can that be organized again around a time when a woman of color feels better in the world? So when we do things like that, we're, we're working more in partnership with our bodies rather than against our bodies, rather than, you know, fighting ourselves. So you're, you host workshops on this, right? I do. Um, I do a lot of menstrual cycle tracking, um, workshops. I do a lot with the legal profession and like track, you know, aligning one's legal practice with menstrual cycle. Um, I've never hosted one on aligning one's legal practice with racial literacy work, sorry, aligning one's menstrual cycle with um, racial literacy work, but that could be a very interesting topic. But the answer is yes, I do do menstrual cycle stuff. Yeah, well, I feel like in the corporate world, menstruation is not, it's not really, it's not a comfortable topic still, because it's mostly male dominated still. Mm -hmm. White male dominated. Yeah, thanks. It's true. Uh, <laughs> um, what was I gonna say? There's only one company that I have seen, and maybe because it's you know I am connected to this company, I have their app that literally in their job and their benefits, they uh-huh. specifically spell out you get menstrual leave. I love it. Yeah, and so I'm like, oh, I want to work for you all. Um, yeah. And I remember when I actually, uh, for, you know, this job that I, you know, that I'm at, uh, when I, you know, after I, when I was talking to the recruiter, I specifically asked, can I get menstrual leave? And, um, I mean, it was like the, the company is like, you have flexible, like un- unlimited pain time off. So I could have used it. Like, I didn't need to declare I have my period. I'm going to take time off but it's still uncomfortable to say because it's not like you, it's not explicitly spelled out. You get right. menstrually. <laughs> right. So I'll just be like, I'm not feeling well today. You know, I need to take a break, you know, yeah. Yeah. but, um, which it's, it's encouraged, please rest if you need it. 
but it's still an uncomfortable topic because it's like, well, I don't, I'm not sick. I'm just tired and I need sleep. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I, I, I'm sharing this because I hope it's like when you're in the law firms that are mostly male run, that's my guess. It's like, we're going to have white male run. Hmm? White male run. White male run. Um, We are playing right into um, a man, most likely a white man, a white man's weakest parts Mm. when we don't, when we aren't honest with what's going on and we are assuming that that man cannot handle our truth, Mm. which might not be true at all. So when we choose to share, if it's feels right and it feels safe, there's a lot of dynamics there, but if we choose to share, I'm menstruating today, I don't feel good. I'm really, you know, whatever I'm taking the day off. They're going to have whatever response they're going to have, but we have taken the initiative to give them an opportunity to step up and honestly grow up Mm. and, and, and maybe they can actually hold it. I mean, hopefully, you know, men, but again, mostly white, you know, white men have at least one person in their life they care about who menstruates. (laughs) Right. And, and so I think that we actually do them a disservice and we play into the weakest parts of them, or we assume that they can't handle the truth when that might not be true at all. It it might be, but it might not. And I will say a few weeks ago, um, I was supposed to go on a walk with a male friend of mine and, um, I started my period and I sat with it. I was like, do I tell him, do I lie? And I was like, no, for exactly that reason. I was like, I'm going to just text him and say, I need to reschedule. I started menstruating and I'm tired. I need to sleep. And, um, he responded. He was like, you know, like the next day he's like, I'm sorry, you're not feeling well, please rest. We'll get, you know, like he responded with such grace, mm-hmm. kindness. And had I lied to him, I, I would not have been able to experience that part of him. And I would not have been in integrity with myself. I love that. Um, yeah, I think it's like, I, this is why, uh, it's interesting. Cause if it's one-on-one, I would, I, I think I would have not as much of a problem, but I think when I'm announcing it in like a group Slack channel of, well, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I don't know, like, and no one's really like sharing their exact reason of why they're not feeling well. Yeah. Um, but, uh, what was I going to say? So I love that. I love the, um, the, just being like, Hey, and it's true actually. in all of my experiences of even in like, well, definitely a romantic relationship. That's not something you should hide from, but mm-hmm. it's like, I mostly, it's like, I'm sorry. You're feeling like shit. Is there anything I could do? Like, you know, usually guys will step up. Um, but I'm, I'm, it's interesting because the reason I think what started like, Hey, you should come on my podcast was when you wrote a while back last year, you wrote about period mm-hmm. and you said, white patriarchy or something like that. Like, I'm going to share this. And, mm-hmm. um, and that really inspired me to share a similar post. Cause I was thinking like, cause I, when I have my period, like I 
I need the first day off. Like I'm just tired. Um, and, and I was just thinking like at that time, cause it wasn't in a back in corporate. I was like, I'm so glad I don't have a corporate job right now because I'm feeling like shit and mm-hmm. I'm committed to taking the first two days off. And I don't know if I can do that in corporate world. Right. Um, and that's what created the whole patriarchy post. And I wrote white, white, I associate patriarchy with whiteness even though I think we've had this conversation um, during the first interview. Um, but what was my whole point in saying this? It's how no, your post was re- was received versus my post. I remember. Oh, yeah, it wasn't well received at all. Like, no, um, when I say that, I mean, I got two pushbacks that I ended up blocking and one unfriended me. Okay, mm-hmm. bye. <laughs> bye. But like, um, what was I saying just around, like, I think this is more related. It's not, I don't think it's related to race. Maybe I don't think it's related to race. I think it's around the patriarchy around periods. Cause why do women feel like they need to hide it? Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think it's so much race. It's, it's, we are coddling men, which is its own problem. Yeah. So, um, I, I, I'm not sure what the history is for women of color sharing menstruation with men of color. I don't know what that is. Um, when I look at white women, we coddle white men and, um, you know, there's a, you know, if you, uh, when you look back at the history of whiteness supremacy, uh, this idea that like, um, you know, the, the ton in England, you know, like the richest people in England that all had titles that whomever King gave them, whatever, all that bullshit. Um, and like, you know, women had to, white women had to behave a certain way. And like, they, you know, like they hit all this stuff, like this ludicrous stuff. But we held that as the the epitome of like class. White people held that like that is the standard of class and and you know like the way to be in the world. And um and in that white men were just ungodly coddled, right? Like you know they couldn't you know like women didn't share anything and women upheld it. So like we had a huge we being white women had a huge fucking piece um, in this. And so. From that perspective, yes, I think it's patriarchy, but but I don't know if women of color have behaved the same way towards men of color, which is why I don't want to come right out and be like, yes, that is true patriarchy, because it might not be. And it might have been that women of color have like maybe, you know, maybe black African American women before um they were enslaved and uh brought you know, here or to Latin America, um, maybe that was a very open thing. Mm. And, and, um, you know, and, and men of color revered women mm. of color when they were bleeding and, you know, as, as the mystics and, and, um, you know, our, our connection to our greater consciousness, to our inner being and, and, you know, to the divine was, is heightened, is actually heightened during that period. It's actually true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that could have been honored then. I just don't know. And mm-hmm. then it was supremacy that 
that put the kibosh on women talking about this. So I just, that's why I'm like reluctant to be like, yes, that's true patriarchy because I don't know the whole history or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah. And like for me, cause I was raised in North America, I was raised in a Western culture. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm drinking the same water and breathing in the same water that we are, that we're, most yeah. of us are in North America or Canada and US. I, I can't speak for Mexico. <laughs> um, but I do like now as an adult, right? Like it's so funny as a teenager, I think as teens, like, you know, we're already kind of like, oh, maybe I don't want anyone to know I'm going to hide the pad or whatever, or the tampon. Yeah. And like, uh, I just remember even like, I didn't want my dad to know my dad and I never talked about her periods, like, you know, like, and then my mom made it not a big deal at all. So I'm just like, okay. And like, it's so funny. This is like kind of off topic, but not really, but like, um, Judy Bloom, like she, uh-huh. she her documentary is on prime right now. And she talked about, um, the book, Margaret, or their goddess be Margaret, which I read when I was like, you know, nine or 10 great uh-huh. book. One of like, it just, it was such a coming of age book. Right. Uh-huh. But like, now as an adult I have to like consciously push through any type of like oh okay my period so I'll tell my dad like when especially when I was um, living with family when I was back home visiting I'm just like I feel like shit today I cannot go with you guys I have a period and my dad's like oh so he would make me like ginger tea he's like do you want ginger tea I'm like yes (gasps) and I'm like holy shit like this whole time (laughs) right like it was like it was so cool I'm like well mom usually makes it with goji berries he's like okay he's looking for the goji berries oh oh. yeah yeah and then like when I was in Bali like I had cramps and um I would um I lived really like next door to this little restaurant and I knew that like I met the owner he's super cool guy and I'm like, oh, I can't. I have my period today and I'm having cramps, like literally. And he's like, oh, do you want me to make you ginger tea? I was like, I would love that. Oh. Yeah. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, how much? He's like, no charge. <laughs> you know, like so sweet. Mm-hmm. And um, and I really like why I just feel like um yeah, I don't know. These are all like, these are all Asian guys. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking back to, I don't know, just like, how can we lift men up to support us as women, you know, uh, when we, you know, and I just love what you said around like, um, like, we, 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 I like, I don't know all the history as well, but just like, women were seen like closer to God, closer to the divine when we had our periods, like amazing. And, um, and I love that. It's like, take back our power, which we somehow threw away because we were taught to be ashamed of our bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that message is, it's interesting. I don't feel like I really got a rite of passage as a, like stepping into womanhood. Although I think I would have been really embarrassed if I did have that. I'm like, what are you doing? This is weird, you know? And um, this is like a whole different t- topic, I feel like. And yeah, but something that I did want to call out was like when I was saying like men, you kept saying white men, mm-hmm. which, and the company that I work at currently, <laughs> it's, it was founded by a white woman. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, anyways, I want to say that. So it wasn't a white man. <laughs> Thank you for that. And I will, I will piggyback on years and I will say, uh, I haven't practiced law in years, but when I did, uh, white women, partner, white women partners were so horrible to me, like mm. light years beyond in cruelty compared to, uh, male partners. Mm. And I, I have a lot, I think the reason was because at that time, um, those, those women were, were really first generation women partners in law firms. And so God only knows the hell they had to go through to reach that level of prestige, um, and positionality within a law firm. And so I think probably unconsciously, they were like, oh, I had to put, you know, kill myself to get here. So I'm going to do the same to you. And I've always looked at that. And I was like, that was really, they had an opportunity to, mm -hmm. to set a different tone mm -hmm. for female associates coming through and they didn't take it, at least the ones I worked with. And I always, I just was always really struck by that. And I was like, huh, what if I was to be a, a partner in a law firm now, which not likely to happen, but if it was to happen, I want to lead in a different way. Mm -hmm. I will say that's probably a, re a reflection of patriarchy. Yeah. yeah. Just exactly. like you had to, like women had to be the man, you know, yeah. be like the man. And in order to climb the ladder and be seen as um, equals, you know, mm -hmm. but yeah. Um, interesting. Um Hmm. I'm thinking about con the continued call about, cause ah, uh, I, I don't, I feel like it's being harsh. I'll be honest. Like when you kept saying white men, uh -huh. white men, and I was like, is that true? I'm like, I guess, I guess so. Like, you know, I've worked all the big companies I've worked at have all, except for this one I'm at, I'm at a startup yeah. founded by uh, a woman who I, I respect for her and like the work that she's done and all that. So I don't have any, you know, um, I don't really have direct, like, I don't have direct conversations with her per se. And same with all the other companies I worked for previously in terms of the, you know, the founders and all that, but they're all men. And I know. I, yes. It, I will say, um, it does probably come across as me white male bashing and no, um, no, it's just, you're calling out because this, this is race literacy work. <laughs> And, you know, I, I, I hear you on the, I, you know, I, I am very specific that it's white patriarchy because mm -hmm. men of color don't have the same benefits as white men. Um, and as you just explained, you know, and I suspect many of your listeners, when they look at organizations, the vast majority of men at the top are white. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so that's why to me, it's not, it's not accurate to, to lump men of color into toxic patriarchy because mm -hmm. men of color aren't the ones making the rules. They're not, you know, for the most part, they aren't the, the decision makers. Like the way our society has unfolded is it has been white men and then white women mm -hmm. right underneath white men under supremacy. And again, um, white women receive far more benefits under supremacy than what we lose under patriarchy, mm. which is again, why I always come back, you know, I'm like, we have when with white women, we can't focus on patriarchy. We got to come back to, to supremacy and what our role has been 
in terms of our continued loyalty to white men, to supremacy. We never stand with women of color. We never stand with people of color. In fact, we make their lives often infinitely harder. We have in the past and we continue to do so. And, um, and that's why to, to me, I, I just, that's why I take the positionality that I do. And thank you. Thank you for that, like for doing that. Um, I'm just like, as you're talking, I'm like thinking like, I think if I'll be honest, like as a person who is not white, right. Um, if I delineate that so much, I would, I, for me, I would start judging. I'd be like, white, you're white. And therefore you're like, I would box, like I would box that in. Yeah. Um, it's just it's interesting for me as uh someone who is of color to be like well how do I want to um like is it I don't know if that is healthy for me to categorize yeah you know because then I feel like somehow I am separating myself from um okay, this person is a white person. I don't know. I just feel like maybe it would be a little too much for my nervous system versus, uh, I don't know if that's necessarily my work to be honest, (laughs) you know, love that. I, you know, I love that you're so aware of that in your own system for processing. And I absolutely could be wrong. I, you know, I'm, I'm basing what I say on lots of reading and learning and, Mm -hmm. Um, and your experiences have been different. Your learnings have been different. And the reality is I'm white. Mm-hmm. I can get away. <laughs> I mean, that's it. That's truly what it, a part of it is I can get away with saying toxic white patriarchy in a way that you cannot as a woman of color. Ah, uh, we talked for like, how long? I think mean, like, this is the longest I've gone. I know. I mean, you just, you may have to split it up into like two or three parts. Two parts. Y'all, um, how can people learn more about you and all the things? Yeah, so you can go to my website. It's alyssajohnson.love, L-O-V-E. Um, and there you will find just all sorts of things about my work and um, and whatnot, both uh, related to lawyer well-being and then um, related to race literacy, which is um, not just for lawyers, lawyer well-being, obviously, duh, for lawyers. Um, and then the race literacy book club, you can sign up for it. Um, and there's just a whole host of stuff. Amazing. Check the show notes. It'll all be there. And then um, connect with Alyssa on her website. Thank you so much. I so enjoyed our conversation. To help you feel more supported and nourished in your body and nervous system, you're invited to download the free I Am Supported meditation in the show notes. May you feel grounded in who you are as you become the fullest expression of yourself. Thank you for listening to the Sacred Emergence podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode and thank you in advance for sharing with those who can benefit. Until next time.